What's up, Redefining Records fans? Do you like my music? Do you like my music? It sounds silky smooth. Well, then you better check out our brand new podcast. It's called Trust the Process, featuring our very own Jake Marino. In it, he'll dive into different songs, how they're made, how to get them sounding oh so right. So head on down to wherever you listen to your podcast and follow Trust the Process with Jake Marino. And now, on to the show. It's a horrible time. And like you said, that kind of bad acid trip vibe that comes through on a lot of these songs where it's like, not only am I dying, but this is also the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, dude. <it's... laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, welcome back to another very special episode of the greatest podcast on the uh, top 123 of the UK's, uh, what's it called, music history list, uh, bands, beers, and buzzwords. I'm your host, John Paglisotti, and with me today, we have Mr. Jack Kellums. Hello. Jack, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Stoked to be here. Definitely, man. I'm stoked to have you, dude. Um, I'm stoked to talk about this album, man. Uh, what what are we talking about today? Uh, today we're talking about the the commercial album by The Residents, and uh, super obscure, crazy album. And um, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, man. I I had never heard of this album or band uh, before you brought them up to me, and uh, I think I told you over message. I, I quickly skimmed the Wikipedia and was like. I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, like we're, we're this is a cool one. So uh, last week's episode was uh, King Crimson, and I thought that was going to be one of the more out there albums. Uh, this one definitely has it beat. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> this is a sick one, dude. Um, before we talk about that, we do got to uh, to uh, plug some people that need to be plugged. Uh, this podcast, of course, as you should know by now, is a part of the Redefining Records uh, music ecosystem blog uh, cult whatever you want to call it. Um, you can find them, redefiningrecords.com. Redefining Records is on Instagram. Uh, that is Mr. Andrew Schultz. He runs that. You can find his podcast, Sounds for Thoughts. Um, that's kind of the sister podcast to this one, and it's cool. Indie musicians go on there and talk about their own music, their own creative process. Um, it's slightly more self-serious than this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I am John Paglisotti. You can find me on Instagram, at Delta Dagger Music. That's where I post my music music memes, random life updates that you probably don't care about, and uh, most importantly, podcast updates. Uh, Jack, where can we find you? You can find me uh, on Instagram at Jack Kellums. No uh, no capitals, no underscore, no nothing, just Jack uh, Kellums, K-E-L-L-E-M-S. Nice. I think I still need to follow you. I follow your band, but I don't know if I follow your personal. That's funny. I'll have to jump on there. Right on. Anyways, you guys all should too. Uh, let's talk about music news. Let's do it. All right, 
music news today in music news according to cnn uh elvis costello recently dismissed claims that olivia rodrigo had plagiarized his music saying that that's rock and roll uh Jack, are you are you a fan of Elvis Costello or Olivia Rodrigo? Um, you see, I've never properly listened to an Olivia Rodrigo song all the way through. Uh, I saw she had an ad that came up on my Instagram where she was doing a car wash, but I love Elvis Costello. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic. Yeah, I, I kind of gravitated to this story because I figured you'd be a fan of Mr. Elvis Costello. Um, do you agree with that sentiment, though, that... It's kind of hard to plagiarize rock and roll music. That's just kind of how rock and roll goes. I have to, I 100% agree. I feel like at this point in time, like, that kind of goes for any genre of music. You can't really claim to, you know, have rights over a certain sound or style nowadays because it's like, if rock did that, you know, well, it's ripped off from the blues, you know, and stuff like that. And it's music just evolves constantly. I don't think there's such thing as uh, like ripping each other off. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. And I, I think that so many instances of like, you know, presumed plagiarism, when I go and listen to them, I feel like it's much more of like a nod, if yeah, anything. Totally. Um, I feel like musicians are way more apt to sort of pay homage to other musicians as opposed to like just blatantly rip them off. Um, Definitely. So good on you, Elvis Costello. I feel like there are a lot of uh, old school musicians who are becoming crotchety old men right now. And uh, definitely it's, it's cool to see Elvis Costello still has it. You know? Yeah, that, that is great to see. Um, but hey, uh, let's jump into this album, man. Um, let's do it. I'm ready to talk about it. First, before we do, though, you got to tell us who are you and why should we trust you? OK, so my name is Jack Kellums. That's who I am. And you should trust me because in high school, I was rated the best knees in the class. I had uh, the world's best looking knees. And that's why you should trust me. Uh, you should also trust me because uh, I deliver food on DoorDash. So, I mean, you kind of have to trust me if I'm delivering your food. And uh, I'd say I'm worth the trust, you know? I I'm not going to screw you over. Nice. I dig that, man. Like, delivering food... Maybe not as important as delivering a baby, but you're also going to get food delivered a lot more often than you get a baby delivered. So Definitely. who's to say? Yeah, I mean, I deliver five or six meals on the daily, whereas, you know, you only get a baby once every nine months. Yeah, that's right, man. That's a great point. <laughs> um, I got I to gotta say, too, man, uh, you do have some musical credentials that I'm going to uh, uh, coax out of you here. Oh, hooray. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us, you're, you're in a, a pretty cool band right now, right? Well, thank you. Yes, I, uh, I sing and play guitar in a band called Shock Therapy. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at shock.therapy.official. And uh, we're based out of Orange County, and we do kind of like a 80s new wave uh, type of music and it's a it's a blast yeah it's super cool guys i was listening to some on my way home from work today and it's uh there's maybe a touch of elvis costello in there definitely yeah. an inspiration yeah. like some of that little bit of uh maybe some b-52s but maybe a little punkier than that what what, what are some other inspirations well i think that you pretty much nailed it on the head it's like we love new wave music but we grew up very much so on punk so i'd say it's kind of uh, a mixing of like 77 like buzzcocks uh that kind of era of punk with um like kind of a gary newman wall of voodoo type of like 80s new wave sound yeah it's it's rad stuff guys 
Um, so yes, definitely go check them out. Were you any in any uh, bands previously? Yes, uh, actually, with two of the members from Shock Therapy, I played in a strictly punk rock band called uh, The Sanities, uh, and that was from like eighth grade till uh, junior year of high school or something like that. And um, I also played in my high school's jazz band for four years. <laughs> so rad um i gotta say talk about jazz is your first buzzword awesome hey so <laughs> jazz is jazz is great jazz <laughs> is amazing i figured we would touch on it it's funny the one i was trying to bait you into i actually took off i had it on last week but uh, mention a band you used to be in is one that i've had hey, a number of solid times, but uh at least you hit jazz <laughs> Um, so for those of you turning, tuning in for the first time tonight, uh, the way the buzzwords work, I've got 20 buzzwords, these words, phrases, tropes, uh, things like that, that uh, I'm going to try and get Jack to say when he says one, he's going to have to take a drink. You will hear that air horn noise. <laughs> um, I'm going to cut real quick and tell you, the audience at home, what the buzzwords are this week. That way uh, you can crack open a beverage of choice and responsibly play along with us. Uh, let's cut now. This week's buzzwords are... Say something is the best or greatest ever. Use an onomatopoeia. Mention Frank Zappa. Say experimental. Recite lyrics. Mention Brian Eno. Refer to an album made post-1990 as a record. Use the phrase ahead of its time. Mention pop music. Mention David Byrne. Call something cliche. Say the word drink. Say the word vintage. Mention Captain Beefheart. Talk about jazz. Say mainstream. Name a specific type of keyboard. Name a part of a drum kit. And end a sentence with the phrase, I don't know. All right, those are the buzzwords for the week. Uh, again, Jack does not know those buzzwords, uh, but now you do. Uh, so, Jack, uh, that was a great introduction. Thank um, you so much. Why don't you remind us one more time what album we're talking about today? We are talking about the commercial album by The Residents. Nice. So, I've got some pre-written questions here that I, I have used since day one. Awesome. And the first one that I always ask people is a really straightforward one, uh, almost a throwaway question, because it's generally the same answer I get. Mm -hmm. uh, but for this album, I really want to know, why did you pick this album? This one I had to pick because, A, I love the album. Uh, it's my... It's one of my all-time favorite records. And B, I just knew, you know, it's such an out-there, bizarre record that there's so much to talk about. And I really don't feel that the residents have the sort of cultural recognition that they really deserve. Because they've been around for, since like 1969 or something like that. They've been, and they still play today. So I really feel like it's a, it's a sort of underrated record that really deserves some more recognition. Yeah, agreed, man. I, I've got to say, I, I had no idea who these guys were until you brought them up to me, and uh, I'm really glad I've, I've learned about them. Just even in the little bit of reading I've done about them, I've been blown away with some of the connections they have to some pretty incredible musicians and just the sort of lore surrounding yeah. them. Um, I, do you want to maybe dive into that before we even talk about the album? Like, who, who are the residents? I would love to dive in because I feel like the residents have such a crazy aspect of mystique to them, you know, they're, uh, it's just, uh, like, as far as associations go, I mean, Penn Gillette was their manager for, like, a long time before <laughs> he was, like, a really big magician, which I thought was super cool. 
Um, they've been around, like I said earlier, since like 1969 or something, and they still play today. And I feel like the coolest thing about, one of the coolest things about the band is that nobody knows who the members are, and they've kept this shtick up for, you know, for a long time. Uh, because they wear these giant eyeball masks <laughs> with the tuxedos. So nobody knows. Well, a few people know. Pendulette knows. Yeah. But nobody in the public properly knows who's in the band. And I think that's a, a really cool aspect about them. They're completely anonymous. Yeah, it's, it's, that's so cool to me because it's such, a, such the antithesis of what being a rock star is all about, I feel like, most of the time. Definitely. And, um, you know, that aspect of them it, it's such a such a uh, microcosm of like what this whole album is about uh, yeah it, it, it's so interesting it's very much the antithesis of what it should be you know um really interesting stuff um uh do you want do you want to dive into the album and just yeah. start talking about it so uh quite another question for you when did you first hear this album i first heard this record um Towards the end of my senior year of high school, um, I'm a sophomore in college now, and uh, it's uh, a lot of the music I kind of found near the end holds a, a really like cool place in my heart because it was like graduating college, you know, graduating high school, and then getting to hear a bunch of new interesting bands. And um, I, my buddy Miles, uh, the drummer in my band, uh, he showed me this album because. Uh, the residents were on a, a Watch Mojo video where it's like top 10 masked bands. <laughs> and, you know, they're there with like Slipknot and like stuff like that. And, you know, if you were to just randomly hear them, they're so intriguing because I think there's nobody that really sounds like the residents. And I think that's one of the coolest aspects about them. Yeah, they're they're very different. I um the 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 closest association I could come up with was like uh kind of that weird era of Pink Floyd yeah. like uh post Sid Barrett. Well there I feel like there's some Sid Barrett aspect Definitely. to this too. Yeah. yeah. Um but there's that era like I don't know if you if you are you familiar with the album Umaguma? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like side 2 of Umaguma. Yeah, definitely. You know? It kind of has that although that's way longer. It's the yeah. long form whereas this is absolutely not long form. Yeah, that's one of the really cool aspects of the record is that it's 40 songs, you know, 20 songs to a side and all the songs are no more than a minute. Most of them are usually about 30 seconds. So something I realized about the album is it never gives you time to get bored because by the time you'd be bored with one of the songs, it's already on to the next one. And all the songs, even though they have this sort of similar element of like spookiness and weirdness, they all sound different. Yeah. It, it's, it's truly interesting. I, and you're right there is kind of a thread that runs through all of them which surprised me when i saw that it was 40 songs in 40 minutes i um i assumed it was going to be someone essentially cycling through 40 presets on their synthesizer and yeah. doing 60 seconds with each one you yeah. know um and it's really not it's like strangely cohesive oh definitely um for how eclectic it is it's it's kind of this uh, and i feel like i'm going to be saying that a lot throughout this is it's, yeah. it's very like contradictory in Definitely. so many ways and and yet that's kind of what's awesome about it and uh it, you're so right that it's 
it, it keeps you captivated. Yes, um, definitely. It's it's kind of hard to it's like <laughs> it's kind of hard to listen to when you first listen to it, and yet, like on the way home today, I was genuinely enjoying a lot of yeah. these songs, which is so strange to me. It just grew on me so much. Yeah, there's a. It's funny because even though there's a kind of a. a spookiness to the album a lot of the songs are very joyous and you could almost you know see yourself whistling in the tune or something you know it's like uh the album's named the commercial album and i think it's fitting because by no stretch of the imagination is this a commercial <laughs> record but for the residents if you were to listen to any of their other albums this is definitely their most sort of commercial sound yeah, it it's funny, man. So so let's let's speak on that then. What what is kind of the the idea behind this album? How how did it how did they release it? What what was what was the point of this thing? Well, it's funny because uh, real quick, I wanted to mention the the way they got the name the residents was that they they sent uh, Warner Brothers Records a demo tape in a package that uh, it didn't have any name on it. It just had a return address. So they sent the record, the commercial album, to them. The record company sends it back with a decline slip, but since they didn't have a name on it, it was just addressed to residents. So they're like, okay, the Warner Brothers clearly knows what's best here. That's our band's name. <laughs> that's so great. It's that's, Yeah, super cool. Yeah, that's an amazing story, man. And it's it, like it's so fitting for these guys. Like in reading their history, like so much of what happened to them was, was like that. Like yeah. I, I had read that they, you know, made their way cross country to go to San Francisco because mm-hmm. that's the place to be in the late 60s. And they broke down like in San Mateo and mm-hmm. they just said like all right well this is where we're going to set up shop then like this yeah. is where we broke down this is where we're going to set up shop like exactly it, it's very much just go with the flow like you know it, it yeah. is, it's very interesting it's like i i'm impressed that their philosophy of music extends to kind of their entire lifestyle <laughs> definitely because yeah it's a it's so like you say go with the flow in their attitude and it's so reflective in their music that you know, it's hard to find bands that truly practice what they preach, and this is a definite example of one of those. Yeah, it's it is refreshing. Um, super interesting group of guys, and and they're all sort of. Uh, it's interesting too. Like when I looked them up, it they were not listed as a band; they were listed as a collective. Yeah, which, which was, is more fitting, I I would say. You know, right, and that it goes with that sort of you know holistic lifestyle approach to their art you know it's it's, definitely the music is just one aspect um it's it's interesting like the the commercial album because i I saw that like part of the instructions was um like you're you're to take one of the songs and repeat it three times yeah and you've built yourself a three-minute pop song exactly Like, (laughs) like it's so funny it's like a like diy kind of but what's funny is after I read that, I was kind of thinking, like, well, what if I took my the three most maybe uh, accessible songs on here and, like, put them together? Like, would it make kind of a little pop song? Like, it almost does. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mention, like, I, I, I would listen to this and be like, wow, this is some weird stuff. But then I would find myself, yeah, kind of humming one of the little riffs. Yeah. Just kind of, like, they get stuck in your head, even though yeah. they're so sort of 
like you said, spooky or almost sinister sounding. Yeah. They have that magic kind of like earworm quality. Totally. Um, it, it's super interesting, man. Um, do you want to jump in and maybe talk about a couple of your favorite songs on the record or just ones that stand yeah. out to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say as far as favorites go, I love uh, The Act of Being Polite, uh, Suburban Bathers, mm-hmm. um, The Coming of the Crow, um, uh, Birds in the Trees. I'd say yeah. Birds in the Trees is my favorite Um song on the record because it's the the intro hook you know like you said you kind of find yourself singing it sometimes and i'll find myself like doing the dishes just singing the the main hook to it it's a (laughs) it's but it's such a bizarre weird kind of creepy song that it it just kind of like you said it's contradictory to everything you would know about like pop music Uh, I'm gonna say mention pop is one of the buzzwords. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting you you bring that up. It's, yeah, birds in the trees was a cool one to me because it's one of the few that kind of um, like the sounds on it match the title. You know, yeah. like it sounds like I you know I don't know what they're using if it's some sort of modular synth or what, but they have that kind of bird chirping noise yeah. throughout. Um, so it's cool that they do that and it's it's such a nod to kind of that pop trope of like um i forget the proper term for it but it's it, you you do stuff like that like yeah i've got friends in low places like you yeah. have to you have to sing what you're saying like you know there has to be some match up there for it to be catchy definitely well here it is they put birds chirping in it so isn't this a catchy pop song exactly like, <laughs> like yeah. you know it's like this whole album reminds me of like if um like if aliens came to earth uh-huh. and were like okay, what does your pop music sound like? And you had to, like, describe it to them. Like, you couldn't play it for them, but you described it to them, and then they went and wrote a pop album. Totally. I I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's super bizarre in that regard, in that there's a very sort of inhuman feel to it. But, yeah, like you say, it just works on those those sort of tropes. And, uh, yeah, just super interesting. Yeah, it's... It's an out there one. Um, where do you think they were drawing from when they when they did this album? You know, that's hard to say because, you know, there there really isn't a band that sounds <laughs> remotely like them. But you know, in some of their other records, they've made nods to like Little Richard and like, you know, kind of like classic rockabilly stuff. But it's funny because, you know, it's kind of at the same time as, like, the birth of industrial music and stuff like that. And that's really, like, the only bands I can really, like, mentally associate with the residents are, like, Throbbing Gristle or, like, you know, bands like that. Whereas, you know, but they don't sound anything alike. And that's one of the elements I think of the, like, quote-unquote experimental music that makes it so cool is that... There's no other genre of music per se that, you know, like you know what it is when you hear it, but there aren't necessarily characteristics that, you know, pull over from band to band. Whereas if you listen to rock music, you know, there are defined characteristics that, you know, this is a rock band. But an experimental band, you know it's experimental, but it's not because you can, like, tie some association with another band. It's just because it's bizarre yeah dude you're so right it it's funny because 
in listening to this album, it, it happened twice to me where I was listening to it on my way home from work and the album ends and it, it, it kind of takes me by surprise when it ends because you yeah. kind of get lost in the, it, it's so many songs and so many little snippets, you yeah. just kind of forget where you are in the album. Uh, and it ended, I didn't realize that it ended, but this new song starts and I'm, I'm suddenly kind of grooving along to this new song. I'm like, yeah. oh, this might be like my favorite song on the record. It's very like conventional. And I look down and it's uh, The Mothers of Invention. Oh, right. Uh, it's something <laughs> off of like Weasels Ripped My Flesh. Right on. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, how many times can you put on Mothers of Invention and be like, oh, this is really accessible. Yeah, like, totally. You know? But like, and yet like next to this album, it, it is. is. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's super interesting because like one of the songs on Weasels Ripped My Flesh is just like, like it's just screaming yeah like, you know yeah and it, it was like interesting to hear like this next to that and the differences between that and yeah you, you're so right like doing experimental stuff i mean that's the point is like you can't do experimental stuff if i was to do experimental music it couldn't sound like the residents yeah exactly you know yeah that's the thing it's like Listening to The Residence is like eating, like, ginger, but it's, like, coated in wasabi. You know, it's like, it is a palate cleanser to a degree because there's nothing that sounds like it. But like you said, it's a palate cleanser in the way that even more extreme music seems less extreme and bizarre <laughs> just because of how weird conceptually the album is. Yeah. It's it's cool, man. And I think conceptually it's it's beautiful like the fact that they call it the commercial album and it's it's 41 minute songs right because mm -hmm. it you know there's this trope i you know sean from the shakes he was on the program uh, recently a couple episodes back and he uh, brought up for instance that yeah in a conventional pop song you're supposed to have the chorus within 45 seconds of yeah. the start of the song right well Again, if you told an alien that, they would say, great, well, I'm going to make every song 60 seconds. So yeah. you, get a, you get a chorus and a little bit of something around it, and you're done, right? Yeah. If that's the best part of the song, then that's all I'm going to give you. It's like, yeah. it's such an aggressive attack on that. Yeah. Um, I had read, too, like, one of their their things that they did was they, they, they uh, bought 41-minute advertisements yeah. on the radio do, do you yeah. know the story do you want to tell this story yeah well it's it's interesting going off of that the one thing that came to mind is they they took four of the songs off this album and made what's called uh the one minute movies and it's uh they show this on mtv like super early because this the album came out in 1980 so it, like right at the birth of mtv and it was uh moisture the act of being polite um, and two other songs I'm blanking on. Uh, but they made a visual representation of the song, and the visual representation is so fitting to the music that it's, you can just sort of get lost in it, where it's like, I want more, but they just leave you wanting more. Because like you said, you know, it's four minutes, you know, it's a four songs, each are a minute, Whereas it has that element of pop that like hooks you and wants you know you want to just keep going over and over again and listen to it constantly, but it doesn't allow for that to a degree, which is really cool. Yeah, it that's awesome, man. I had no idea they had little videos to go along. I'm gonna have to check that out because I Moisture was one of my favorite tracks on yeah. there. Um, my note for it is I just wrote. 
guitar solo with a big exclamation point next yeah, to it. Yeah, <laughs> that is such a cool guitar solo it also. It genuinely it's, is. so bizarre, you know? It's like, I, I don't even know, like, what scale or whatever he's playing because it's almost got kind of an Eastern tinge to it, but it's, you know, it's kind of crunchy and more, like, 50-sounding tonally. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, it's a cool one, man. It, it Whoever played that, which we may never know who played that exactly um, had some chops mm-hmm. you know like had some serious chops that did not strike me as a uh at, like little moments like that because so many of the melodies on here are so simplistic and yeah. so childlike and then you hear a guitar solo like that and it's this one little instance on this album where it, it peels back the wool a little bit and it's yeah like, no these guys know what they're doing you oh know? definitely like, <laughs> because that's the thing is you know they all are great musicians and i feel like this sort of bizarre style could have almost been derived from like improv within jazz oh gotta take a drink <laughs> that's that's okay once once you say it oh okay yeah, it's okay. it's uh, it's like a landmine although i will say uh say experimental and say drink are both buzzwords so oh you yeah, perfect yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take one with you dude <laughs> I could almost see the sort of bizarre free-flowingness of it being derived from like a, like Coltrane-style jazz, that sort of weird, just out there, anything goes kind of thing. Right, yeah, like the Coltrane, like post-bop, um, you know, like that's also seen as very kind of impenetrable, yeah. dense. Uh, Hard to listen uh, to, you know, right. unaccessible to the average, or to the, your uh, average listener. Right, exactly. And yet it's so different than this. Yeah. Um, because it's so rooted in, like, heavy technicality. Like, it's it's so hard to explain. Like, my, my old college band, uh-huh. um, we started getting into jazz and, and we would try to do every now and then we would try to do like free jazz uh-huh. and for some reason it just like always kind of sounded like shit yeah. and we, we couldn't figure it out it's like why is it that when like Ornette Coleman uh-huh. and Eric Dolphy and guys like that do free jazz it like like you like you can't say that it sounds good yeah. but for some reason it sounds better than what we were doing yeah it's interesting why? for like, sure why? yeah <laughs> and that's when you realize they're not just up there playing random crap like yeah there is something going on there definitely yeah it's, yeah it's like i mean my theory is it it was playing outside taken to the absolute limit it's every single member of the band is implying the rhythm and the key and and playing outside of it at all yeah. times essentially as yeah. opposed to the soloist playing outside for one little riff yeah it's every single member is playing outside for the entire yeah the entirety of the piece yeah and which it, can sound nuts <laughs> yeah. it's it's incredible but I, I don't know man i'm 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 not a a jazz guy i'm sure there are way more talented jazz guys than me who would tell you that they know what that what that you know they yeah. they would have a better idea what that is than i do totally um you're so right and and but this is like the polar opposite it's like every one of these songs is like a weird uh like demented nursery rhyme or something exactly (laughs) yeah it's like that's so dead on it's like you could it's like almost palatable to like the mind of a child you know Mm -hmm. it's like 
It's like if you took like Damien from uh, The Omen and told him like make a record right now, yeah. that could almost be what it is. Like this weird sort of demented nursery rhyme. Yeah. It's funny you say that, man, because some of the synth tones and some of just the, the tones and things that were happening kind of reminded me. There were individual moments. I wish I'd wrote them down, but there were individual moments that uh, reminded me a little bit of the Shining soundtrack. Yeah, which, definitely. Which I, I, it was to me, it was just a passing thought. But thinking about it now, I mean, yeah, there were those little girls. Yeah, and and and, and uh, what was the little kid's name? Uh, Danny. Yeah, you know, like very much a story about like creepy little kids. Yeah, and, like, totally. It like this kind of fits that weirdly. I it, it's it's such an interesting one, man. Um, it's out there, dude. Um, I noticed you mentioned the track Suburban Bathers. Yeah. Uh, that was one that I had on my list, too. I, I went through it, and my goal was I was going to write, like, five tracks that I wanted to talk about, and I read probably one, two, three, four, five, six, six. Like, I read, like, a bunch of them. Yeah. So, you know, I don't there, know. There's plenty to work with. <laughs> <laughs> so Suburban Bathers sticks out. It's it's my longest note. Yeah. Um, this was one that I really took an interest in the lyrics because they, they seemed to be different than mm -hmm. the rest of the album the rest of it seemed to be very um it, the delivery was very much like uh you know nursery rhymey like couplet 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 something that doesn't rhyme with the couplet yeah and it's something striking yeah right? um and it was often kind of sinister and weird this one was seemed a little bit more lyrically like cohesive and yeah had a little bit more like um like lyrical depth I guess yeah. it's, it's hard to say because there is a lot of depth to these lyrics I think even the simplistic ones but uh, he sings like uh, he's singing about you know the suburban bathers who never really get wet yeah. and then I see the sea the sea sees me he talks about if they can learn to love themselves they might survive the murky depths I, yeah. I have some ideas about what this means but I want to hear your take too I, what, what do you think about this it's one of those things where it's like this song in particular, along with, I'd say, Blanket Statement, the rest of the album, it's like they give you this sort of sort of bland title where it could be, you could interpret it in any number of ways, and that sort of, that element goes with the, like, main vocal line, but a lot of the time the sort of backing vocals are sort of, like, the lines that are sung not as loudly give this sort of weird creepy element to it where it's almost like the paint being thrown onto you know the canvas and this one i don't that's the thing like all these songs it's so hard to interpret what the hell they mean but you know i i think a lot of it is just sort of the, the you know this came out post jimmy carter era you know yeah. i think reagan is just getting into office and this whole like suburban family kind of idea and that like the the purity of them they they bathe but they never get wet you know right. you could almost see that as some sort of an innuendo or something like that it's a uh, there's a lot of room for interpretation with all of the lyrics yeah dude that's so true and that that's funny i i uh I really like that interpretation. I um I I was kind of seeing it as uh, whoever the narrator is feels like uh, I I saw it as like they felt like an outsider a little bit. Like yeah. I see the sea, like the sea of identical houses or the yeah. sea of identical little families. The sea sees me, right? Like yeah. It's, it's the the big uh, homogenous mass of people see the outsider. It's like yeah. You stick out. Yeah. I never thing. thought about it that way. And. Uh, 
you know, if they could learn to love themselves, maybe they would survive the murky depths. It's yeah. kind of it's interesting. It's he he's you know maybe the, maybe the sea. You know, they're gonna drown in this sea. Yeah. Unless they can learn to love themselves. Um, but then there's the final lyric is this self-denigrating well maybe if i can learn to love myself i'll survive the sea so it's almost like he's yeah not even, it's almost that like uh you know every uh suburban guy thinks he's the one guy in suburbia that yeah is the, like he's the one guy that gets it man yeah. he's the one guy that's above it yeah but every other dude in every other house is like man i'm the one guy i'm the exactly, one free thinker yeah. in this place yeah but it's, but it's every dude thinks he's that guy so. I, i've never <laughs> thought about it that way that's so interesting and it makes a lot of sense and it's like i love the way that last line you know you're playing on some of those pop tropes where it goes i if then I can survive the murky depths and then it's the only time in the song where it changes the the continuous rhythm and does a different note and it goes down instead of up and it's like yeah that sort of idea of like it's a, like a life lesson to a degree if you can learn to love yourself like that's really the only way you'll be able to make it through there's a lot of muck in yeah. life there's a it, life can sometimes feel like a murky water yeah and it's interesting you know if you can at least love yourself then you can navigate through this almost hellish earth that they're depicting yeah exactly it's like the the answer is not the us and them like there's the big c and i'm the one guy that gets it yeah because you're not like exactly it's like it's and that's not the answer the answer is like well we're all in the big C together. Yeah. And we all have things about us that make us different, so learn to love it. It's, exactly. It's, 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 and, it's all we got. And what's hilarious is we just talked for, what, five, six minutes about a 60-second song? Exactly. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because that's one of... It's that idea of, you know, reductionism, simplicity. It's like they don't give you a ton to work with, but that in and of itself gives you more to work with because... There's not so many aspects that kind of can uh, blur your vision on what's going on. It's simply put, and that allows you to kind of go in, you know, dissect all the different parts and really dive into each of them and then realize it as a whole picture. And then that whole picture in and of itself, it's kind of like a book, you know, you read all the chapters, now you get this full story out of something so simple but it just cre- it causes you to be creative in listening to this. Yeah, dude, that's a that's a wonderful interpretation of it. I love that man, and it's a great tie into jazz. Where what yeah. one of the classic jazz tropes is like it, it's about the notes you don't play. Yeah, right? definitely, which is actually so true. It's so true, and, and that's kind of like this. It's like an entire album where every song is a note yeah and it's like not even about the notes that are being played it's about the notes that aren't played yeah and that's when you start to see the the big picture that, definitely that's wild man it's funny man i i uh, when i first listened to this album one of the first things that came to mind was like this is like a bad acid trip oh totally it, um, it, it's got it's very trippy in the you know, going over to your buddy's house, roasting a doobie or whatever, that kind of vibe, tripping out type of thing. Well, I gotta stop you, say trippy. <laughs> um, did you say mainstream at any point? I I think I might have mentioned Maybe. it before we started recording, right, although I can't remember. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a double on this okay, one. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll call it. Um, I was gonna say, this album 
strikes me as like a bad acid trip and yet like the way we're talking about it now i, I kind of want to do like a like a quarter tab of acid yeah like a very safe amount and like dive deep it. into it yeah, yeah totally like, that's so weird man like i never would have thought that this album would be like a i want to like do psychedelics and explore this one but like yeah now i kind of do like well that's the thing it's like that you could almost view you know on the surface it's very enjoyable to uh anyone who's a fan of this kind of music but that's the thing it's not just a surface level album you can really dive super deep into all of the songs and depict various parts and kind of make each song like your own album and like really there's so many layers that you can especially if you listen to it and i highly recommend for everyone listening to listen to it in its entirety the way it flows from song to song is it hits every emotion it just it can be so interesting which i feel like there's not an album that i go back to as much as this one and continue to find new elements that i really like about it yeah it it it's interesting one one thing that i thought of while listening to this album i was reminded of an experience i had while i was in japan and uh, i was there and i was being hosted by some uh, a native japanese family they're they were friends uh friends of the family it was a long story but i was being hosted and they took me out for a really nice like japanese dinner very oh, traditional wow. And they, you know, they, they bring you, it, it's kind of like this. They bring yeah. you like 40 courses, but they're all very small. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because, uh, you know, there was this portion of the meal where they brought me several little things in a row that progressively I, I, I liked them less and less. Like yeah. be it texture, be it taste, whatever it was. And I had something, I had some kind of a jellyfish tentacle that just uh-huh. textured, taste, it was really <laughs> bitter, it was chewy. I really wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. And like the only reason I even finished the tiny little cup of this jellyfish tentacle soup was because I didn't want to be rude. Yeah, exactly. I was like choking this thing down. <laughs> I didn't know if I could do it. It was this tiny little thing. And I'm sitting there like, dude, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't know what the next dish is going to be. Yeah. I, like, what am I going to do? Well, they bring out this little soup uh, cup, and it has, like, little noodles, and there's the tiniest little sliver of beef on top of it. Really? And this piece of beef, man, I kid you not, like, this little sliver of beef made the best steak I've ever had taste like McDonald's. Oh, my God. Was it one of, the, like, that proper Japanese Wagyu it, steak? It, it must have been, man. Yeah, I that. was. That I was. I am envious oh. just hearing that. I love wagyu. You know, yeah. it's a. It's probably like a once a year experience. Yeah. But if you can get a good <laughs> wagyu steak, oh my god, yeah. nothing compares. Yeah, I it, could only imagine what it would actually tastes like in Japan. Yeah, like the real deal. And what I realized was like, they just, uh, like, you're a jazz guy, right? Yeah. So I love what? Jazz. So what they just did is they held on to that five chord yeah or maybe like a i don't know minor seven flat five whatever make it as funky as you want like the funkiest five stand-in chord and they hung on it hung on it hung on it hung on it and then resolved to the one yeah right totally that's what they just did with food yeah that's like what the fuck (laughs) that's something i've never even considered you know that could uh, food in and of itself could be its own art form and like you said have a form to it in the way that music does yeah and in listening to this album, 
I have the same experience because it was like song after song after song after song. I was like, this is funky, man. Yeah. And it's like the first, what, one, two, three, four, five, or four songs are pretty out there. And then it hits Amber. Yeah. Which is a really palatable, actually very pleasant yeah. song. It has a female singer yeah. comes in and it they do this throughout and then there's this little stretch of amber japanese watercolor two very nice yeah, songs yeah super beautiful um and then a couple really interesting ones i love secrets die in terror um mm-hmm. die so, in terror is awesome yeah super cool one but it's getting back into the sinister weird yeah. shit and it, it it does this to you throughout where it takes you deep into the scary weird yeah and it gives you this little 60 second pleasant piece yeah and then it's right back in and it, it, it takes you on this journey yeah. yeah that's like you brought up you know the sort of psychedelic element to it earlier and i think one of the really cool elements of this album is that it's not psychedelic and your traditional sort of pink floyd um what's a, like uh what's that band ultimate spinach like yeah. that kind of like trippy rock it, like you said, when you listen to it in its entirety, it takes you through these weird emotions and it kind of scares you and then it uh, eases back, you know, makes you feel comfortable, gets you like ready to go into the murky waters and then it dives right back in and then you come up for some air and it's it takes the sort of psychedelic element and implements it more in the long term rather than in the short term in the like song. It's more so in the entire album. And uh, you mentioned Amber as well. Something I thought of uh, on the album cover, and you have uh, John Travolta and uh, oh, is that uh, who that is? Yeah, I forget. What's the girl from Greece? Um, oh, um, uh, shoot. Yeah, yeah totally blanking. Yeah. But you have the two of them upside down on the album, and then you have the residents who are all eyeballs, and there's four of them, so they're standing over their eyes. And it's funny because Amber, when I listen to that record, I see John Travolta to that song. (laughs) For some reason, it just like even like it has this, it like reminds me of Grease almost in an utterly bizarre way. Yeah. I mean, I can see that, man. It's kind of a love song and it has this almost duet of a female than male singer. It is kind of a Grease. I, I can see that, you know. It's, yeah, it's an interesting comparison, and I and I love that. It's like I I love that now. The next time I listen to Amber, I'm gonna think about that. You yeah, know? think about John Travolta. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Um, dude, this is a this is a cool one. I, I was gonna say, yeah, Japanese watercolor too. The so one that, cool. that follows it. I, my note, it has uh, cool guitar tones on it. Yeah, uh, as well as really cool synth tones. They have some really out there weird sounding synth tones it's kind of the if we go back to the presets thing it's, it's like yeah. the presets you skip past on your synthesizer yeah. <laughs> they make heavy use of those oh totally know? um but on this one they have kind of the guitar sounding like a japanese uh i forget what that instrument is called yeah but me the, too the, the gigantic pick yeah i love that and, thing and this uh but you know a little bit more accessible one um definitely which even though it is you know it has this uh Orientalism, sort of foreign sound. It is more accessible. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about too is right after is Secrets. Um, yeah. W- like what a weird, sinister little tune. Yeah. It's, it has this, you know, rhyming kind of nursery rhyme format about. And it sounds like some sort of a paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. Talking about like I've, 
I've seen these two people interacting with each other, and and therefore I know that they have some sort of secret. Yeah, and I must cut them. Yeah, like, it, it's this like, dude, what? Like, yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like a lot of those songs. You know, it's yeah that that ending line that I thought I might cut them deep. It's like it's so bizarre because you know you get the re- the name secrets you know like secrets imply maybe a negative sort of connotation and then he just you know rips into it at the end like going with taking your negative connotation to the furthest degree and talking about you know homicide yeah it's it, it <laughs> i thought i'd cut them deep and it yeah. just ends on that yeah and, and it's so abrupt thing. and that last hit it's like a like a, such a thump and it like really hits you and there's that short, sort of short pause before the next song comes on where it like really sinks in and you're like damn you know yeah you're, that's, that's spooky you you're, know you're forced to digest it for a moment yeah um and then of course the next song is die in terror yeah <laughs> which is it's like you know as far nobody wants to die in terror like it, it's funny if like if you could imagine the worst possible outcome it's dying in terror you know (laughs) but it's so simply put it's like you're dying and while it's happening it's also extremely frightening there's no (laughs) this aspect of like you're drowning and the death becomes serene or anything like that it's just the entire time it is horror it's like it's a horrible time and like you said that kind of bad acid trip vibe that comes through on a lot of these songs where it's like not only am I dying, but this is also the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it really hits the nail on the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the... <laughs> these guys were trippers for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They they it's uh, yeah, pretty safe to assume, especially you know they're coming the interesting thing too is they're coming out of the hippie era. They're coming out of the 60s and diving into the 70s, but it's not like they're diving into disco or punk or anything like that. You could almost argue that their attitude was kind of punky and that it was DIY and they didn't give a shit about whatever they're doing. But they don't sound like anything from that era, but they take that sort of psychedelic element from the 60s and continue it on. And like, it's kind of like where The Clash had, you know, their reaction to peace and love was hate and war. Mm-hmm. It's like continue the, continuing hate and war, but throw, you know, it's some tabs of acid on top yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's funny you say that, man. Um, what was I going to bring up? I feel like in that, what you just said, there were like three different directions I wanted to go. What was I going to say? Um, oh, well, let's talk about this. So you mentioned that they're punky. Yeah. One question I wanted to ask yet. 40 songs, 40 minutes. Is this yeah. album punk rock? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It kind of The only albums that I can think of that have songs this short are grindcore albums. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, extreme metal, like death metal type albums. Where it's like, you know, Napalm Death or something like that. They have, like, the world's shortest song. It's, like, one second. Whereas, like, this is punky in that, like I said earlier, you can't... It doesn't allow for you to get bored because it's simple. It'll stick in your head. 
and it's so short that it doesn't it literally does not allow you to get bored because by the time you would be bored it's over yeah that's right dude um i gotta say like that was something too that attracted me to this album because previously uh the smallest, uh, I guess, song to runtime ratio on this program was a Descendants record. I'm sure you're familiar Rad. with. Uh, oh, definitely. Uh, Milo goes to college. Of course, it's a classic. That was uh, my first punk rock T-shirt I ever bought. Really? It was. I I saved it. It was. Uh, I got it at Deluxe when they were still uh, in Costa Mesa before yeah. they moved to Santa Ana, and uh, it was a, a gray Milo goes to college shirt. Nice, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, that's so rad. I um, I, I had a guy on that I know from, from school who reviewed that album. And oh, right on. I was, Great album. I, I remember I posted to my Instagram, like I just took a screenshot of the little, uh, you know, right here on Spotify, and it was like 15 songs, 22 minutes. And I yeah. just screenshotted that, and I was just like, when you're punk rock. You yeah, know? totally. Like, yeah. <laughs> or I think of uh, Group Sex by the Circle Jerks, that it's like all of their songs, again, you know, it's a, I think it's like a 20 song album and it's only like 20 minutes or something like that you know it's like just it gets straight to the point you yeah. know and that's what i like about it too is sometimes like sometimes you want to sit down and listen to stairway to heaven you want to go through this whole journey with different elements and the whole bit but sometimes you want to just get down and get straight to the point i want some weird sounding music and i don't want it to you know consume my day i want something trippy and weird right now yeah Dude, um, you, you would love, just little aside, the guy who reviewed that uh, Descendants album, he was in a band up in IV called Rabbit Foot. Oh, right on. Um, in fact, the episode I'm releasing this week, the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour, uh, his bass player reviewed that one. So oh, right on. Super interesting group of guys, and they were in this band Rabbit Foot, and they were kind of experimental punk. Like, they'd be cool. up on stage, like, I don't think they tuned their guitars a single time in the yeah. entire like several years that they played that's awesome um, they would just like buy effects but they didn't know what they did they just i found a cheap effects pedal i'm gonna plug it in and turn it on yeah um and then they would be up there and chris sharma who reviewed the descendants he, he was in like a borat speedo brad <laughs> and he would just get up there and they'd just be playing random shit and he'd just be like singing the abcs and just that's you know? awesome and, i love and, watching and, stuff oh, like that it, live. it was incredible but then he would like you know broken somebody drops a beer bottle he would like roll around in the glass yeah Totally, some Iggy Pop up. vibes yeah. there. And, and then the the I think the greatest thing I ever saw them do, we were playing a festival. We had this DIY festival in Isla Vista called Toga Palooza. Yeah, and it was twelve hours, noon to midnight, twelve bands. Toga party. Um, yeah, big that's toga awesome. Party. <laughs> and uh, all the bands, each band would buy a keg for uh -huh. their set. Oh, rad! So twelve bands, twelve kegs, twelve hours, uh, and it was all free. Everyone came out. It was just. That sounds Incredible. tremendous. <laughs> we did it every year, and Rabbit Foot, I remember I was talking to them before their set, and Malcolm, one of their guitar players, um, I'm talking to him like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked to watch your set, guys. And Malcolm's like, oh, dude, well, here's the thing, man. I can't even play the whole set. I have to study uh, organic chemistry. Because all these guys are like <laughs> yeah. engineers, organic chemistry. Fuck it. Like, they're oh, totally. brilliant. Yeah. Because, of course, the smartest dudes in the school are in like the fucked up weird punk rock. Band. Oh, like, totally. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, always. Um, Especially when you get into like experimental music, I feel like is just conducive to like those kind of weird brainiac dudes yeah. because it's like <laughs> you don't have to understand that but to understand that you don't have to understand it takes a different level of <laughs> yeah. understanding you know you have to, like come out the other side exactly yeah. it's like you're 
you're on the fourth dimension when you're yeah. listening to it. <laughs> so Malcolm tells me, okay, I, I'm only going to play half the set. I have to study organic chemistry. <laughs> so I go, damn, bro, that's, well, I mean, hey, good on you, though. Yeah. Like, hey, good for you, right? Priorities, yeah. grades, school. Hey, that sucks, but, you know, hey, good for you, man. Yeah. So I'm watching their set, and halfway through the set, uh, Chris goes up to the mic and he goes, all right, guys, uh, Malcolm has to study now, so he's not going to be playing. So Malcolm sets his guitar down, pulls his O-Chem book out from behind his amp, and sits down at the front of the stage, crosses his leg, and spends the rest of the set reading the textbook. That's sitting awesome. There. I was like, this is genius. That is possibly is the so most good. punk rock thing I've ever so heard. Good. It was so good, dude. Oh, that's so rad. That oh. makes me think of, uh, do you know Aphex Twin? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He would just like he would lay on his stomach on stage, like you know, twirling, just like kicking his legs, like just <laughs> messing around while you have thousands of people all like going nuts to this crazy music, and he's just like he's just on like a different plane, you know? Yeah. He just he's just out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the idea of being on stage and like really not giving a fuck like to the degree where you just sit down and like start reading or just doing like some thing like that is such a beautiful thing that like really is never implemented into people's you know musical sets or anything i really wish i was there to watch that yeah it was it was it was next level man i was i was blown away by that that's right felt like any of the showy showman shit I did during my guitar solos or whatever, it all felt so trite compared to that. <laughs> totally. I was like, dude, I'm trying way too hard. Yeah. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Man. Totally. <laughs> it's so cool. Well, that's the thing, too. A lot of the time in this genre, like experimental or industrial music, you'll get people who are trying too hard. And that's not part of the sort of vibe of the music it's so go with the flow laid back that only a certain type of person can make this kind of music you know it's not like it's not like punk or something like that where you know anyone can sort of make it it needs this element of bizarre sort of laid back go with the flow i'm not gonna care if i play something wrong or this there is no such thing as like wrong you know you hear some of these i think of uh like in suburban bay there's it's like the melody although it's catchy if you're just you know solo that out it's like almost hard to listen to you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like just it's like bow, 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 bow. you know yeah. it's just like music you wouldn't they're just notes you wouldn't think to put together and probably doesn't make sense in the conventional sort of sheet book music sense you know yeah yeah dude it's a uh, it's everything they do here man it's like it's so funny i in my last record the king crimson i told matt who was my guest i said Matt, I probably listened to this album ten times in the lead up to this, and after talking to you, I'm, I need to go back and listen to it ten more times. Yeah, and I'm feeling the same way about this album. I'm like, I feel like at first when I first listened to it, I was kind of like, "Listen, I'm going to listen to this multiple times because oh, I yeah. do that for every album. This is it's hard. It's hard to listen to for me, but I'm going to listen to it because yeah. that's what I do, and I that I I'm going to fucking do it." And now by the end, I'm like, it's not like, oh, it's this lovable. is hard. It's like, dude, I need to go back and listen to this. Yeah. Like, it, it, that's so weird, man. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's, the one of the beautiful elements is that 
it's uninviting in the beginning, <laughs> but if you can let it in, it just it's almost impossible to not become obsessed with it because there's so many different weird elements you can really dive deep into. Yeah, and it it's funny because now it's like this uh it's like our little secret. It's like this weird little thing that no one knows about and it's yeah. like God, it's so cool. Um I wanted to bring up a couple other songs. Um, Dimples and Toes, I really like. So cool. <laughs> it, it has like this surfy Yeah. It almost sounds like Morse code, that synth line. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. And, and uh, um, so they have that. And then um, I noticed the next track, too, uh, The Nameless Souls, mm-hmm. the, the beat on it, for for a hot second, I thought it was like an 808 drum machine. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't think the 808 was around in 1980. I bet you they were probably using like some sort of weird Ace Tone drum machine or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, there's a lot of... A lot of these sounds feel like the precursors to what would come with 80s sort of synth techno pop right you know it, but not in the way that they used it at all you know yeah <laughs> but yeah that's sort of it does have that 8080 sound yeah which is super like weird like it, it, it's um you ever listen to can yeah yeah i love that band it, yeah it super kinda, cool it kind of reminds me of that where like i heard this beat and uh-huh. i was like what the fuck is going on like how is this beat on this album yeah you know totally. it had that like moment kind of like when you listen to can and you're like this Are yeah you kidding me this is <laughs> exactly this early like, yeah what? i know like 71 something like that yeah. it's stupid early yeah or have you heard uh what's that band uh shoot i would just forgot is uh there was like this really weird like glitch pop band from around that time um silver apples i don't know they're like if you like can i bet you dig them they're super weird super cool band though right now yeah it's like there's a lot of bands and especially you think of like kind of kraut rock going on in the early 70s and like with Kraftwerk coming along and noi and there's like the 70s almost doesn't get enough credit because that early 70s is still coming out of that psychedelic rock era where it translated in a really cool, unconventional way that didn't continue necessarily throughout the rest of the 70s. Yeah, dude, the 70s are a, it, that's a, that's an era that just keeps, excuse me, keeps on giving yeah. for me. It's like there's this kind of stuff that I now need to go check out. Yeah. And, I'm coming off of a huge Steely Dan kick. Oh, Brad. Which, again, for probably the 15th episode in a row, I'm going to put out the, the call here. If anyone wants to come talk about a Steely Dan record on the program, please tell me, because I really want to talk about one. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Love Steely Dan. Oh, incredible, man. I, I know them so well now. I came off a huge Steely Dan kick, but the whole Yacht Rock and then... yeah. I was super into jazz fusion in, in college, so mm-hmm. uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, and then, um, like, the Soft Machine did an album with Alan Holdsworth that was yeah. fucking incredible, um, and, like, Jeff Beck, and all these different Jocko Pistorius weather reports. Oh, I love you know. Jocko, um, yeah. I got super deep into that stuff, but then, I don't know, man, we're going to get off on a huge set. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. You're so yeah. right. The, well, thank you. Yeah, the, the 70s does not get enough credit. People think Definitely this, not. 70s is like disco yeah well that's the thing because it's like as a punk rocker it's like is disco and then punk came along to you know shut that down but there's nobody gives 
you know, well, obviously, I'm not going to say nobody, but it's so often swept over, like, glam rock. You got, like, David Bowie and the New York Dolls and Alice yeah. Cooper doing this sort of far more theatrical rock than you've seen before. Like, in the 60s and the 50s, you've got these kind of, there's a defined look to them. Like, in the 50s, you got the kind of greaser or kind of doo-wop, like, done-up suit type of thing. And then in the 60s, you get, like, the Beatles mm -hmm. with their suits, and then you get, like, hippie music, and it's all bell-bottoms and all that. But this is just, like, glam rock comes along, and it's just, like, makeup and theatrical elements and just sort of, you know, especially David Bowie, it's, like, completely alien to the rock music world. But it really doesn't get enough credit and then that going into you know it's weird when you think of that you can almost cut that off around like 73 for the like heyday of glam and then there's this kind of dead space where you get the punk bands are just starting but haven't for you know haven't started playing around 75 76 yeah and then you get to 77 you got punk going that comes along to kill disco then that goes into electronic and all yeah. that but it's just it, there's not enough focus on the early 70s i agree man i uh it, it's funny you brought up stairway to heaven earlier there's yeah. a there's a there's a time where i'm gonna have to be in the hot seat for this album or for this podcast and uh -huh. schultz gonna interview me oh right i think i've decided that zeppelin 4 is gonna awesome. be my record yeah but um dude, <laughs> what, what is it is it in dazed and confused or fast times at richmond high <laughs> Oh, uh, where he, I think he talks about... Let's zip four, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you gotta try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that, that's gonna be it, man. Awesome. But, uh, dude, yeah, the early 70s, and, and uh, like, you're so right, like, the, the mid-70s, it seems to be this, like, dearth, but that's when you can find these really cool jazz fusion and kind of, like, the Dan was super active in the mid-70s yeah. and, and just really cool kind of interesting music that wasn't necessarily like chart topping but no. but very good music um totally i'll recommend another one have you have you heard of a band called stuff no it's cool it's uh steve gad on drums Red. you know steve yeah, gad, yeah, yeah. so um stuff uh there, there's a cool performance live at the montro 1976 i'll um, give that a listen yeah it's like uh it's like they're playing like old um R&B but also some kind of funk it's kind oh, of like cool. funk R&B fusion and it's mostly instrumental and it's basically one long medley and it's super cool very I love that very feel good music um, very wholesome music you know in this time where we've been missing live music it feels good to listen to it yeah I dig that and while just on the on the topic of the 70s it's funny because you have the disco era but I feel like there's not enough of a distinct of a distinguishing like factor that is uh, known in the public eye between you know the sort of uh, disco and then your sort of like R&B uh, what's the word I'm looking for I'm completely blanking um, like not Motown kind Motown. of music. Okay. And yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. like that stuff is so rad. I'm not personally a fan of like disco music, but you listen to a lot of those bands and it's going on around the same time, has similar characteristics, but there's so much more feel to that. Yeah. You, that genre comparatively to disco. Whereas it's like, I feel like sometimes there, uh, a lot of those Motown bands are put in the disco category um, for the wrong reason. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's because uh, you're right, and then there's the funk, of course. Yeah, and uh, there, in fact, another great one it would be uh, another great live album from about the same time as Bill Withers live. Oh, um, right, I love Bill Withers. I, I forget the I forget where he was live at, but there's a great live Bill Withers album from the mid '70s. Awesome, I'll have to give that a listen. Incredible, yes, so good. Right on, so good. You'd love it as a front man. I was I was oh, blown awesome. away by Bill Withers, just the way he captivates the crowd, like. So many long portions of it are him just talking to the crowd over yeah. the music and just working the crowd. And yeah, just such a you just love listening to him. He's His just, voice has such a a power. There's like characteristics to that voice where, like this album, you can almost dissect it into multiple different sections. He has such a a hearty, like just huge voice, which is like I feel like there's few singers that have kind of even come close to what he sounded like yeah yeah super distinctive uh i gotta ask you real quick what what kind of guitar do you play i okay so i'm i play a gibson les paul it is i'm i'm a bad gibson owner because i do not know the exact make and model of it but it is a gold top and i got it my soft more year of high school as my christmas present oh hell yeah and I, I love the thing to death dude i blew it i thought one of my buzzwords was name a specific guitar and it's not <laughs> <laughs> um i will okay you were kind of halfway on this one one of them's mentioned a part of a drum kit but i think since we talked about 808 and ace tone yeah i'm just gonna give that to you okay <laughs> Normally I have name a specific guitar in there. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's awesome, though. The gold top Les Paul. Yeah, I love it. Although I must say my roommate plays a uh, Fender Telly. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's been gone for the summer, and I've been playing it every day. And I've completely fallen in love with it. And my The next guitar I intend to get is definitely going to be, what is it, the, the Polar White uh, like a Mexican yeah. uh, Telecaster yeah. with a, a maple neck. I, I feel like Telecasters and most Fender guitars in general, I just much prefer the maple neck compared to like a Rosewood fretboard or something like that. Yeah. I feel like it just goes with the tonally. I like the way it sounds better and the way it plays. I think it and I think it just looks cooler. Yeah, my uh, my most recent guitar build was a maple neck Tele. Oh, um, nice. And it's got the big, you know, one inch like boat neck. Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah, all of my roommates, uh, we all have the same taste in guitar era so all of our guitars are like 57s nice. or like you know obviously remakes not right, actual right. 57s yeah so that fat chunky neck like i need that because as a les paul player that's you get used to that but having a fat neck on a telly it's like you're right at home it's exactly. like all the lovable elements of the les paul but it's just so much more slap and twang mm-hmm. to it yeah, the telly's cool, man. I I've, I've loved that telly. It's such a versatile guitar. In fact, the the theme song for this podcast was entirely done on that telly. Oh, awesome. Um, and then uh, it's funny, you know, the the trick with the telly that I've found is if you take your volume knob, which mine I have the point oh four seven uf capacitor, and it's you know the vintage spec. Yeah. And I find that if I turn that thing down like three quarters of the way. Yeah. And play, uh, I can fake a Les Paul tone. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, the, that's the Les awesome. Paul and the Telly are quite similar, in in my opinion. Well, so. that's kind of better on the Telly, because you can't get a Telly out that's of a Les right. Paul, but you can get a Les Paul out of a Telly. That's right. Which is, I think, is just in favor of the Telly, you know? Yeah, exactly, man. I feel that. Also, headstocks, my 
gets goes out of tune. I'd say oh. like every two songs I play live, yeah. especially, you know, it's hot in the venue, whatever, that G string. It, it could have been, it might as well just be my worst enemy. So yeah. I think that's the other, that's in favor of the telly. It's like I could play my roommate's telly all day and tune it once. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, the Fender headstock design is objectively Far superior. superior. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's, it, I did a, a deep dive on Def Leppard, and me uh-huh. and my guest talked at length about the G string on the Gibson headstock. Yeah. That is like a known issue. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then, that's, oh, that, oh, and then yeah. Gibson tried to do those uh, those electronic little, uh, tuners uh, yeah yeah that was i i remember when it first came out i was like i think still in middle school maybe like just going into high school and i was like this is a, like sounds like such a cool thing because gibson's you know are notorious for going out of tune it's like oh this is rad but then you see people like their headstocks just falling off yeah, and stuff yeah. like that it's like oh this was a horrible idea <laughs> so here's the thing i'm a low-key robo tuner uh defender oh so i see I, I I, you are the first person yeah, i've ever talked I'm, to who is a defender of the robo tuner yeah, so I'll, my disclaimer is that i've never i've never gigged with them okay never owned a guitar with them Uh but the final version of the robo tuners that they're putting out because the first ones were awful yeah to be fair that was the only time i had interest was in the first gen they they had this version that they eventually put out that was like really low profile didn't really add any weight to the headstock and it was like i tried one of those Uh uh-huh good oh okay (laughs) it was like really good that changes my tune about it because the initial excitement I had about it is so understandable. You yeah. know, like, the it's fixing a age-old problem with Gibson guitars. So if they have this better version, I'd really like to check it out. Because, theoretically, it sounds, like, really cool. And especially if you're on stage, to not have to tune and just be like, get me back in tune. Yeah. That sounds rad, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny, like, because they don't make them anymore. They only, this good version only existed for a while, but I, I was joking on that episode, like, if Gibson ever did the uh, John Pag signature, I would tell him to put the rubber <laughs> tears. Awesome. In. Like, if if only to piss people yeah, off, Yeah, just to know? spite everyone. <laughs> it's got the rubber tears on it. Like, screw you. Um, <laughs> that's awesome, oh, man. So good. Um... Dude, let me do this. Let me pull up. Uh, where are you kind of talking about this? Do you think? Do you think that this album like inspired anyone else? Like it came out in 1980, and I feel yeah. like there's a whole wave of music that kind of followed. Like, even just very tenuously. Like, who yeah. do you think this album inspired? Well, it's interesting because I feel like it had it like has definitely inspired those who came after i mean i consider my band a big inspiration of ours is this record you know we just any kind of band that would be going for a out there sound i think of maybe you know like even a, a band like Apex or a group like Aphex twin even it's just one guy but like anyone that's going for this out of the box sort of bizarre kind of sound it had to be inspirational because there's nothing like that still to this day and i would argue like the sort of the mentality that was put into the album that sort of diy sort of bizarreness i feel like almost could have inspired the grindcore movement that came after the sort of uk 82 punk thing in that 
it just brings these sort of dark elements in a more playful way per se than like some of the earlier like uk82 punk did yeah yeah that's interesting man it's it's uh because i do get a huge like diy punk rock vibe from this album even though no song on here with the exception of maybe uh the coming of the crow yeah that might be that that's that's the closest closest thing yeah yeah it uh that's maybe the closest to like a true punk rock song and yet yeah this this has a very punk rock vibe to it in a way which is so weird it's it's uh but it makes sense. Like I feel like punk rock is way more a state of mind, I guess, than, yeah. a, than any particular style of music. Exactly, and I think that's really the essence of it. Is it's it's the ideology behind it. It's the idea that you know nobody is going to quote unquote nobody's going to want to hear this. Nobody's going to have any interest in this. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to put it out ourselves. That whole thing. It's just there's such a mystique about it. It's uh, it's so enticing to the listener that is inclined to listen to this kind of music. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because one of the guys in the band, which he, you know, of course he he released this, I think under a pseudonym or something. Mm-hmm. He, he had talked about his philosophy of of how like you like you can't create art unless you like have completely forgotten everything about art or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Like he very much comes from this place of like ignorance sort of yeah. like uh, there's somebody in the band or who's associated with the band who, who goes by the name N Sonata. Yeah. Which of course yeah. is like a, it's like a city in Mexico, but yeah. people will also say that it stands for like uh, no se nada, meaning like I know nothing yeah. in Spanish. Yeah. So it's kind of this like, I know nothing, I'm nothing, it's 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 nothing. And then there's debate even as to whether, like, N. Sonata was even a real guy. Yeah, well, like, that's the thing. Since nobody knows, any Joe Schmo could go and say, hey, I was in the residence. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true, though. Like, you know, Penn Gillette and a few other celebrities are the only people who will truly ever know who's in the band. Because, like, on Amber, you know, there's a female vocalist all of a sudden, well, that the costumes, for all we know, it could be three girls and one guy. Right. You know, like there or two girls and one guy. Like that's kind of one of the, the beauty of the anonymity to the band is that you don't know who's in the band and thus you can't make any preconceived notions about it. You can't judge a book by its cover before you listen to it because it doesn't allow you to. Yeah, and it's interesting because in doing research for this, like normally when I research something like, uh, um, you know, for instance, the the second episode was a, uh, what, Modest Mouse. Okay. Yeah. Wikipedia, I pull up the Lonesome Crowded West. Uh And then I uh, start a new tab for Modest Mouse, right? Yeah. Because I'm going to read both. And then in reading Modest Mouse, I pull up a tab for Isaac Brock. Right. And so on and so forth. Yeah. And that's how I research Go down the rabbit hole. Right. You go down the rabbit hole. and. That's how I researched these albums. Whereas for this, it was just kind of like the residence. And I read it and I'm like, this is super intriguing, but there's kind of like nowhere else to go. It's just like, yeah. this is it. Like, well, these that's are the, the residence. Exactly. Like, because you don't know who's in the band. You've got like, you all you really have to work with is their material mm-hmm. and their visuals and all that stuff. Because, you know, there's nowhere to go with it, really. There, it, For all we know... This could have been like a super group of, yeah. you know, various really intense or famous musicians or whatever, but we will 
seemingly never know. And it's funny you say that because there were some rumors that this was kind of a super group. There, there are some people who are rumored to be associated with this band and this album. I don't. Do you want to go over any of these people? I I don't know. Do, okay. can, do you know who it is? Well, I don't know who it is, but I had or heard... Or do you know who the who the rumors are claiming? I, I have heard rumors that N. Sonata... It was rumored that N. Sonata was Captain Beefheart. No way. Yeah, because apparently... That is, a, that is an album that you could maybe say sounds somewhat like yeah, The Residents. Yeah. It's like Captain Beefheart, or yeah. a band, you know? Yeah, Beefheart's pretty out there. Yeah, um, I, I dig Captain Beefheart. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's pretty out there. There were rumors that he was N. Sonata, because apparently at the time that they were recording this, um, Captain Beefheart, like lived and recorded some material on like an Ensenada street like ah, so people, were people are making a connection there him and that and, would make sense because yeah. like you said he's out there and yeah. that's like one of the few artists that you could maybe sort of associate with the residents in and yeah. in, in their music He's close. It, it's funny, and and I would really like to think that he was in the residence because that would make it only cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be really neat, man. The, the other ones I heard were, um, I had heard that um, who was it? I think they said that uh, there were rumors that David Byrne and Brian Eno had like no had, uh, way had like uncredited like appearances on this album. That makes it even cooler. Yeah. <laughs> That's true because yeah, yeah, I I love both David Byrne and Brian Eno. Yeah, and Brian Eno would make sense too because he, you know, going with that sort of experimental music, he was one of the first dudes to be working with ambient, mm -hmm. and that at the time was experimental. Nobody was doing anything like that, and that was right when punk was coming out. It was in that same era. That would make sense, and also if that is the case both of those musicians I, I love them to death that would be so cool if they were on this record at some yeah. point that was and it was funny because the the rumors it, like it wasn't like oh Brian Eno wrote and recorded an entire song it was like Brian Eno like sang backup vocals on one song it's like yeah, they were yeah. both credited with like some small little like two-bit part yeah. on the record you know like it's so rad so cool but it's also like if that caliber of musician was on here then like who else was on it exactly like, you know it it's it really makes you wonder yeah you know? Yeah, it really makes you wonder. And then especially something like Moisture, that guitar solo, where like yeah. I hear some like intense jazz and kind of fusion chops. Like it makes you totally. wonder, like, well, what late 70s, early 80s, like 80s jazz fusion guitar player could have played on this? Yeah. It could have been anybody. It could have been, uh, uh, well, it doesn't sound like Larry Carlton to me, but yeah. it could have been like a Steve Lukather or something. Yeah. Like, who knows? Who knows, man? We'll never know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's crazy. Um Dude, couple a uh, couple other songs I wanted to uh, bring up. Um, Possessions, track number twenty-two. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't help but uh, remember the Pinky and the Brain theme song. Yeah. Do you yeah, get that? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I hear that melody so much, and it just makes me smile to think that like perhaps the guys who wrote like our beloved children's cartoon theme songs yeah. were like deep into like the residents and yeah. stuff. Yeah, like, well that would make sense because you know with like some of the early Spongebob you got like uh, Lux Interior from the Cramps and Lemmy from Motorhead <laughs> like doing some of their early music. Yeah. Like it would make sense that 
that would be the case because it's like you said it almost has this sort of demented like children's nursery rhyme thing going to it it would make sense that they maybe made children's music as well or you know theme songs for for uh children's shows yeah that it, it yeah that just tickled me thinking about that and it is something that's like totally believable you definitely know? so that was just cool um track 36 fingertips yeah uh, you know i was th- this week i've been editing the podcast episode about magical mystery tour uh-huh. and hearing track 36 fingertips it sounded like something that could have come off of the beatles magical mystery tour definitely um especially because that album also has like these weird little at times little 60 second the opening track there's this they finish the song and then it kind of fades out with this weird psychedelic jazz outro yeah. for 30 seconds or so it almost reminded me of this like let's just throw a 30 second little vignette at the end that's totally different than the rest of the song yeah because we're the beatles and yeah really, and then here you have this fingertips it's yeah like totally the same train of thought like yeah just so cool so legit um second to last track the coming of the crow i think we talked about it a little bit mm-hmm. really cool distorted guitars yeah kind of, uh, like proto grunge but also like early 60s fuzz rock yeah um, I, I loved it i thought it was so cool yeah and it's like even the name it's just so dark you know it, it, it seems so intimidating and it's also like the coming of the crow like what does this mean is this some sort of bizarre ritual is this like you're worshiping this thing or you know it's a it it's a, a very spooky song yeah it's it's awesome dude it it i I love it. Anyways, um, dude, that's all I've got for the the tracks themselves. Is there anything you want to say before we move into the uh, trivia section here? I think the the last the last thing that sort of came to mind was that uh, like going with the the whole anonymous you know, the anonymity of the band. Uh, something I'd never really thought before until now is that you know it is very well possible that the members could be constantly changing. You know. Yeah. This could have, you know, there's no evidence to suggest it was the same four people from each album to album. It's kind of a, that's, that could even be a possibility, you know? It could be many, many people doing this sort of whole thing. That's absolutely right, man. I mean, like like the last episode I did, King Crimson, that 1981 album they did, uh, only two, two members returned, and the yeah. rest was totally new. They completely changed their lineup and their sound. Uh, we touched on Steely Dan, same thing. It was really yeah. only two consistent members. Yeah. Uh, why not do that with this, too? Same yeah. thing with Beefheart, Zappa. Yeah. A ton of these guys, they love to just bring new people in and totally. experiment. Yeah. So why not? It totally yeah. could be. This could be, like, the ultimate uh, super group, you know? Yeah, and a part of me really hopes that it is, you know? It would only make them cooler. Yeah. Part of me too, though, kind of hopes that they are just total nobodies. Yeah, the just only thing just they've ever dudes. done is you know, yeah. <laughs> like just kind of slightly changed the you know music history, and it's just probably you know it could have just been some some randos, you know. It'd be awesome, some randos who were somehow able to convince uh, like Brian Eno and yeah. Burn to come do like some little backup vocals. Yeah, like, totally. Hey, isn't that all of our dream, right? That, that would be a total dream come true. That's like. like un- fathomable (laughs) yeah all right man let's jump into the trivia section awesome it's time for trivia all right some of these uh i think you've already answered 
Rat. Huh. But I'll ask him anyways. This is a short trivia one for you. Go. Cool. Uh, what year did the album come out? 1980. Bingo. Uh, where did the residents meet? Ooh. Now that I do not know. Something tells me that I, I want to say it was like Ohio or something, but I might just be mixing that up with Devo. Yeah, not quite. It's uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah, they've got a weird sort of southern thing going on, too. Like a definite southern twang, especially in the album Meet the Residents. Yeah. The the precursor to this. It's uh, Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. That's interesting. I'll have to check that one out, too. Yeah, that one's a lot less palatable. <laughs> like, that, like, they really go for it in that one. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. <laughs> um, uh, next question. I, you for sure told this story. How did the residents get their name? Uh, that was the, the Warner Brothers yeah. story, which yeah. is super cool. Yeah. Um, and final question for you, possibly the hardest. What is the capital of South Dakota? <sighs> Fuck, man. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> that would be Pierre, South Dakota. Ah, um, I, I, I had to look that up, too. So <laughs> I've been doing that. I've noticed the guests are, like, way too educated on the band. Yeah. So I've been throwing, like, little geography questions yeah. in there, too, just to, just to fuck with you, is, you know? It, geography is not my strong suit. I wish you would have thrown, like, a marine bio question or yeah. something in there. <laughs> there you go. There's your SpongeBob connection. It's that, oh, I, I grew up watching that show. I took marine bio in high school. I've always had a love for that stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, that's the trivia for you. Like I said, Rad. short trivia this week, but... Um, are you ready for the rapid-fire questions? Yeah, so this is the sort of call-and-response thing? Exactly. I'm awesome. going to throw these out. You give me, If you want to give me a one-word answer, just first thing that comes to mind, you can. Or if some of them, if you want to really chew on them and dive in, you can absolutely do that, too. Right. Uh, first question. Favorite track? Let's go with Birds in the Trees. Nice. Least favorite track? Ooh, tough. Um... Uh, I'd probably say the intro track. I'm blanking on the name, but... Um, Dude, yeah, okay. Um, Easter, Easter Woman. Woman. Yeah. I was going to say, the first, like, it's not a strong start. No, but yeah. I think that almost could have been strategically put there to scare off anyone who, <laughs> quote-unquote, shouldn't be listening yeah, to it. Yeah, wash out know? all the casuals. Yeah, yeah. exactly, because <laughs> it's... It's not a bad song. I don't think any of the songs on this album are bad, but that is the one I, you know, I always pretty much listen to it in its entirety, but if I were to go through and listen to a single track, that would probably be the last one I'd pick to listen to on its own. Yeah, it's it's funny, man. It is, it is not a strong start. No, but, but it's it's still cool, you know, yeah. it, it's not disparaging them at all, but it is not a strong start. Yeah, that's funny. I, I got the same impression. Anyways, uh... What makes this album great? Everything we've discussed so <laughs> far. It's it's so open to interpretation. And I feel like for me, when I'm in a creative block, it's like the residents are, as well as Throbbing Gristle, are like one of the two bands that I always go back to for like, it's like watching a David Lynch movie. Like I just need some weird shit to yeah. like get inspired by. And it always, always hits in that regard. I feel that, dude. Yeah, this this made me want to 
play music in a in a weird way it did. Yeah, <laughs> it makes you want to the what I love about it is it makes you want to pick up an instrument that you don't know how to play and try and make music with it. Yeah, just pick out some kind of melody on Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the beauties of it. <laughs> that's beautiful. How should someone listen to this album for the first time? Okay. Absolutely for the first time you must listen to it in its entirety. It makes far more sense, and it's so enjoyable. And you're not going to waste any time. Each song is like a minute or less. There's 40 songs. Just listen to it, side A, side B. And yeah, for what I would recommend is lay down on your couch. You know, maybe like either put it on the record player or put the record player on and throw some headphones on. And, like, maybe wear, like, a blindfold. Yeah. And, like, just go into your mind and, like, just really sit sit with it because it evokes so many emotions and the way that it flows from song to song, it's such... It's an experience in and of itself in a way that I feel like no other album is. Yeah. Yeah. It's truly unique, man. In, for me, listening to it, it was on the way to and from work, which... As you now know, oftentimes I'm doing in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just alone in my car in the dark on the freeway and, and just this song. That's a great album. way to yeah. listen to it. Yeah. Let's say you're, you're taking like an hour-long drive, like real late at night, like 4 o'clock in the morning, something like that, in that sort of eerie time of day. Yeah. That's a great time to listen to it as it's, well. It's perfect, man. This uh, is more of a nighttime album than a daytime album, I'd oh, say. for sure. Um, you ever listen to Mac DeMarco's very first album? Oh, of course. Nightclub? Yeah. yeah. Kind of, kind of similar. Like I love the little radio vignettes where it's like yeah. it, you almost feel like you're on some late night drive through some like fucked up little small town. You're getting yeah. weird radio transmission. Kind of similar vibe. Totally. To yeah. These little sixty second. What the hell was that? Yeah. Definitely. Anyways, um, you can plead the fifth for this next question. But uh, have you ever listened to this album under the influence? Um, I'm gonna plead the fifth okay. on that one. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what do you think they were under the influence of when they made this album? <sighs> I'm assuming either LSD or mushrooms and probably a fair amount of hashish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that sounds about right. <laughs> but it also, some part of me makes me wonder, like uh, David Lynch is probably my favorite director, and all he does is smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. Yeah. Some people are just wired differently. You know, yeah. some people are just weird in a beautiful way. Yeah. So there it very well could have been a could have been just somebody's bizarre imagination. But if I had to pick anything, I'd say probably some sort of weird psychedelics. Perfect. Yeah. That question is as uh philosophical as it is historical. So I think that's a great answer. Yeah. Um, if this album were a beer, what kind of beer would it be? Ooh, I'd say this is... Oh, I got to stew on that one for a second. Yeah. I feel like this gives me... Almost 805 vibes, because it can be hard to get down at times, but when you finish it, it's like beautiful nice you know i like that i like that a lot uh would you get intimate to this album definitely not it's uh it, this is no way to set the mood no no i i agree with you i, I agree with you on that the one. thought alone is hilarious <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> At least I'll throw on some Marvin Gaye or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on, man. Now's not the time to be Mr. Like, crazy exactly. music guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, next question. Are numbers created or discovered? Numbers are a human creation, but they're also discovered in nature because everything has this weird sort of connectedness where you could almost find like algorithms within nature and the way things work you know i, I don't know if you're into like the simulation theory and all that but yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I i'm not going to claim that any of this is true but it's utterly fascinating for sure but you know i'd say i'd say both to a degree it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing because the human mind had to put a verbal connection to the idea of various different numbers but the fact that it needed a you know to have a vocal you know sound attributed to it means that it was there in the first place at the same time so i'd say it's kind of that weird chicken and the egg thing where it's like there is a human element but there is also sort of a natural element to it yeah yeah, it's interesting, and that that's I've I've asked this to every single guest, and I'm, more and more I'm coming to the conclusion that like, it it's both. You yeah, know? I I think that is definitely an element of both. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like here, here this is another kind of follow up question. Like, do you think, um, like the first guy to make one billion dollars, like would he have made one billion dollars if we hadn't invented the number one billion? Because, like, no no uh, caveman ever had one billion rocks or yeah. one billion apples or whatever, you know? So That's like, hard to say. I think it's... I don't know, because if we didn't have the quantifiable one billion, I still think there are a few people that would always have that burning desire to go above and beyond, and whether it's ego-driven or, you know, really from the heart... I feel like no matter what, there's always those weird people that really want to go above and beyond and really uh, cling to the idea of major success, uh, major success through materialism. So I think had it, if one billion didn't exist, there would still be somebody trying to acquire the idea Whatever of being a billionaire. Is. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of the fame, the success, that whole aspect. It almost begs the question, does one billion exist? Yes and no, because yeah. it's like, <laughs> yes, you can have a billion dollars, but like... But can you can you have, like, like are there one billion dollar bills out there in circulation? No, so no. Like, I mean, you have many, many thousands of dollars right, that add it's, up it's, to it's that. A, yeah, it's but like there, a... But uh, there's no bill that's a, this is my million right. dollar bill this is my ticket you right. know it's just like a number on a computer screen somewhere exactly you know? and that's the thing is it's like going back to is it made up or is it just there naturally it's like it's kind of both you know yeah it's a it's more of a concept than a physical thing you know yeah because especially you know billionaires millionaires they don't have a billion dollars. They have assets. They right. have nice cars, it's the nice property. They own that's exactly. worth a billion dollars. That yeah. yeah. But if you think of a company, like a company doesn't exist. A company is a bunch of it's people a of that people. do things. Yeah. There's no amorphous blob that is IKEA or mm -hmm. Target. Like you can't go and say Target, you're you're done. You're no longer 
within this you know it's a lot of different people and it's since it's so spread out in that way it's almost like it's not that huge number it's you know broken down but at the same time when you put it together it is that big number right. so it's it's a bizarre thing yeah it's all just fucking made up bullshit anyways. yeah and <laughs> yeah, true it is, it <laughs> that is. beautifully put yeah <laughs> it is but then uh, yeah anyways i've i've had i've had I'm going to say I've had, like, some insanely intelligent people on this program argue really convincingly for both of those. Yeah. As well as people who have said that it is both of the Like, I, yeah. I, I ask it to everybody because I love hearing different... I've had people come on, and I had a guy who was like, bro, I, I uh, barely passed remedial math. I'm uh-huh. not qualified. I said, yeah, you're qualified. Tell me. And yeah. he, he gave me a... I forget exactly what he said, but he actually gave me like a new perspective on it. That's interesting. Like, that's a great. That's a great fucking answer, man. Yeah, you are already up there with the STEM majors I've had on the program. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, and that's what I love questions like that because you can have these super brainiacs take two completely separate <laughs> paths, but it's not that either of them aren't valid. It's that these people put such crazy brain power into to, you know quantifying this answer. But there's so many ways to go about it, and maybe that in and of itself proves that there is no answer, because yeah. even our biggest brains can't come to a conclusion on this. Yeah. It's hard to say, man. Next question. This one, I'm still to this day convinced there is a answer that we could probably find. Okay. I just have refused to look for the answer. Uh, does a man with one lung get more high or less high off of one single bong rip, assuming that one bong rip is like a fixed quantity. Okay. Let's think about this. So does a man with one lung get higher if he coughs? If he coughs? <laughs> <laughs> but not if it's his first time. But not get higher first time. Exactly. Yeah. If it's his third time and he coughs, then he's good. He'll get he's way getting higher. higher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer, man. That's the first time anyone said that. I swear, that's actually that's a great answer. Every other person has tried to do some medical. I I like that answer. I Thank like that you. answer. That's absolutely right, man. Um, last question for you: Does a straw have one hole or two holes? You can also have a third option. I kind of believe in a third option now. Ah, one hole. Yeah. One big hole. Yeah. Because it's a tube. It, yep. they, it's, a, it's a hole that is encased yeah. and stretched out. Yeah. That's what I, I'd say. I agree with you. I 100% agree. Uh, and it's funny because the third option, it's in, in thinking about this question, I realize that it's like impossible for a straw to have two holes. It either has one hole or like an infinite number of holes. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It can't really have two holes. No, because it's one object. Yeah. And yes, it's open on either side. But that, in and of itself, doesn't take away that it is one object. Yeah, wh- how do you call that two holes? Those two planes, but then there's infinite number of planes in there. Exactly. So you could say there's a billion. It's impossible for it to have two holes. Yeah. But someone brought up, what happens if you cut the straw in half? Now you have two holes. And I yeah, was but like, you have oh, two fuck. straws now. Yeah. Each straw still has one hole. Now you just yeah. have two straws that have their own separate yeah. holes. Exactly. So I'm still going with one hole. Yeah, I like it, man. I agree with you. All right, dude. That's it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I'm so stoked we got to talk about this. This has been great, man. Um, Do you want to hear what your buzzwords were this week? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Uh, 
Say that something is the best or greatest ever you did Rad. not get. Use an onomatopoeia you did not get. Awesome. Actually, I, I, didn't you sing one of the riffs or something? Yeah, I did. Okay, I'm going to give you that now. Awesome. Boom. <laughs> uh, mention Frank Zappa. You did not. Uh, almost did, though. You almost did. It was on the mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say experimental you got. Uh, recite lyrics you did not get. Uh, mention Brian Eno. I brought him up, so you did not get that one. Right. Uh, refer to an album made post-1990 as a record you did not get. Oof. That, you might not get that out of me most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I That's that's one I put on there. I, I get some people with that one. Uh-huh. Um, use the phrase ahead of its time you did not get. Yeah. Uh, mention pop you got. Mention David Byrne. I said that, so you yeah. didn't get that one. Uh, Again, on the mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always on the mind. Oh, yeah. Um, call something cliche or overused you did not get. Say the word drink you got. Uh, say the word vintage you did not get. Mention Captain Beefheart. I brought that up first, so you, you're good. Um, talk about jazz you got. Say mainstream you got. Uh, name a specific type of keyboard you did not get. Oof. MS-20. MS-20, <laughs> yeah, there you go, the Korg. I'll, I'll give it to you now. <laughs> name a part of a drum kit I gave to you because of the drum machines. And then end a sentence with the phrase, I don't know. I don't think you got that. I think you were Rad. pretty, pretty uh, measured in your in your speaking. I'm stoked. That means I, I knew everything I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. There you go, man. Awesome. Well, sweet. That's it, dude. That's all I got for you. Um, right on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Once again, um, what are your uh, what are your socials again? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jack Kellums. It's uh, K E L L E M S. No capitals, no underscores. And please go check my band out at shock.therapy.official on Instagram. And you can check us out spotify itunes wherever music is sold yes do check them out they're super sick um once again i've been john paglisotti delta jagger music on instagram and don't forget to check out uh, redefining records on instagram or redefiningrecords.com uh for our sister podcast sounds for thought um as well as some cool little articles write-ups i have a couple articles on there um by the time this comes out i may have my very first festival review Ooh, uh, awesome. I may or may not. Um, Please let me know about that. I'll that let you know about that. Yeah, I'm going to uh, an EDM festival. I've never been to a festival before Which aside from Togapalooza. It's called um, Crossed, or like Dave Moves in San Diego. Yeah, Super rad. I'm going to go and do kind of a gonzo journey. Oh, awesome. Sort of and speaking of gonzo, I just got to throw it in there. Hunter S. Thompson is one of my favorite writers. Hell yes. I him and Charles Bukowski I'd say are my two favorite writers. Hell yes, I, dude. I, I, I'm reading Factotum by uh, Bukowski right now. He's yeah. super into Bukowski. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, my old college band was called The Real Savage Henry. Oh, right on. Yeah, Henry so, Janowski. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So, uh, anyways, there you go. Um, guys, we will see you in two weeks. Uh, it's been real. It's been fun. And uh, this time it has been real fun. Uh, we'll see you next time.